I hope uh, you found lunch as good as I did. I thought that was great. Um, we're going to start our question and answer period now, so I hope you have some very good questions that had uh, come up in your mind. Uh, for next week, Dr. Mike Mann, he's the uh, president and vice chancellor of the university, uh, will be speaking on U of L at 50, past, present, and future challenges and opportunities. So, uh, and the moderator will be Haley Babb, the U of L student union president. So please join us for that. Um, please keep your questions. Uh, to the point, and uh, I hope you have some good ones. So I'd like to invite Muhammad up here again to speak. Thanks. All right, I'm back up here. Okay. Hi, hi. hi. My name is Peter mm -hmm. Beal. Hello. Peter. And uh, I thank you for your presentation. You're but on. I think the Syrian problem. I, I'm thinking of those in term. Wasn't the real problem? Uh, like, there's two questions. One, the real problem being that the French wouldn't accept Faisal after he freed Damascus. And the second part is Gertrude Bell for being infatuated with Faisal and taking him to Iraq. And that destabilized both countries in some way at that time. Is that a question or a statement? OK. Um, well, look, I, I'm just going to remind you with what happened to King Faisal. In, 19, in the early 1970 when he was killed by his own nephew. Uh, I think that should shed some light about what really is happening. That guy, he refused King Faisal at the time. He started, he went against the war, against the, what's happening to the Palestinians back then and to the Arabs. So he decided to you know what, I'm gonna stop pumping the oil to the West. And I don't know if you recall back in the early 70s when he did this, when he did this, there were lineups of people trying to get oil. It, he really put like the whole industry, paralyzed the whole industry. But soon after that, he was killed by his own nephew. And I think I'm just gonna leave it at that. Hi, my name is uh, Knut Peterson. Hi. Thanks very much for coming today, Mohammed, sure. and uh, thanks for giving us uh, the insight uh, 100 years ago when all this trouble really started, oh. at least, or maybe further. <coughs> my question relates to Syria specifically. Uh, do you see any uh, way of resolving that uh, situation right now, uh, anytime soon, I should say. Um, yes, and there is, there, I mean, the, the easy way to solve this is to simply see, okay, there is a dictator who's doing one, two, three of, you know, what's supposed to be forbidden to be done, and there, therefore, if I'm really after the interest of the individuals, and I am the, after the interest of the normal citizens, I'll simply get rid of, um, Bashar al-Assad, and replace him with an entity that actually, hopefully, is a better person. But that's not what is needed. I think what, what and I, maybe I can easily say, my, my word, mark my words for that, I think Syria will be divided into at least two entities. One that will host the very small minority, Shiites slash Alawis uh, sect of Islam, 
And the other almost just, you know, another a little bit more than a half in size, I mean, they're going to give it to the Sunnis. Um, I just want you to picture, you know where Saudi Arabia is. If you look to the right of Saudi Arabia, you have Iran, Shia. If you look to the north, you're going to find Iraq, Syria. Now it's becoming Shia. If you look down below the war in Yemen, now you have Shia. So basically, the holiest place for Sunnis, which is Mecca in Saudi Arabia, is now going to be surrounded by Shiites who are actually claiming, saying, this place, we should be running it, not you. And somebody is implementing that plan for them. I hope I'm wrong. Uh, I'm Trevor Page. Um, uh, according to the Sagpa flyer for this session, it says that you're involved currently in helping refugees or perhaps economic migrants to come to Canada from Syria. Could you speak about your work as far as that's concerned? Sure. And I may come back to the mic for another question, if it's free, after you've told us okay. a little bit about that. Thank you. It's really simple. I work, for, I work with Lethbridge Family Services as an interpreter. I sit between um, the authorities and the clients. In that regard, I'm talking about Syrians. And we do the interpretation. Simple as that. Thank you. I'm Mary Shillington. As a former LFS employee, I appreciate the, what you're doing. Thank you. Um, I don't, I, I, you gave us quite a bit of history, and I appreciate that. But what I don't understand is how the Sunnis and the Shiites uh, came about. Uh, how long has that been? Uh, you know, what is the, what kind of information can you give us, me and us, the, about okay. that? Sure. Um, just to tell you who, who is who, uh, I'm going to start about the Sunnis. Sunnis, and the name Sunni, it means Sunnah, it means I follow the daily doings of the Prophet Muhammad. That's what Sunni means. Um, the Shiites, on the other hand, they are not Sunnis. That means they do not follow the practice of Muhammad. Uh, much like saying, you know, Christians follow how Jesus then done things. This is a from a definition perspective. Um, I think in, in about 1400, 1000, in, in the year, around the 1400, 1500, there were um, the ruling entity in Egypt, it used to be for the Fatimiyin. I, I think, I'm sure you can look it up. Uh, and, and that era of time, when, when, when it dissolved, and when the Sunnis took over, uh, sorry, when a different power took over the Ottoman Empire, uh, Emperor, Empire, Empire, they kicked all these people from Egypt, in which most of them migrated to Iran, and they started what is nowadays called a Shia. Now, this is one side of it. The other side, some people say, Shiites are all of those, because the Shia in Arabic, it means the different, the different kind of people. Uh, it means it is those who 
left the Prophet Muhammad and started their own movement. Um, I'm, I'm going to say, and I'm, I'm, I take responsibility to this because it's me thinking this. Shias is a political movement. It's not, it has nothing to do with religion. I am a Sunni. That's why I say I'm going to say it myself. Hello, my name is Tad Mitsui, and thank you for your presentation. Very Yo. helpful. My question to you is a rather unrealistic question. Uh, the whole situation is. What if, what if is always a futile exercise, but I'll try it anyway. If all the foreign interest withdrew from Middle East, wouldn't that be simpler to come to some kind of a solution? You may have to fight it out. It may be bloody, but it may be simpler. The, the reason why I'm asking this question is when the problem in Syria started to happen, I spoke to my old colleague who used, used to be Syrian Orthodox Christian. And I expressed my sympathy to the people fighting Mr. Assad. And my friend became very angry because I didn't realize that Syrian Orthodox Church were part of Assad regime's power structure. So our simple analysis of Christian against Assad is totally wrong. And I said, this is too complicated. I better get out of here. Yes. And I wondered still, we should all get out of there. Who's going to stay there, though? But I'm going to ask you to repeat the actual question, because I did not hear it well. I, I got your analysis. Isn't it simpler if we all outside interest get out of the Middle Eastern politics? Oh, OK, OK, OK. Oh, boy, that's easier said than done. No. No, it, 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 I wish it can be done. If it's done, it would have been. OK. I, I'm trying. I'm just hugging this. OK. Um, I don't think people um, mind the bloodshed over there. You've seen it on TV. Uh, I'm sure they can fight. But they're busy thinking of other things. And I'm going to give you an example. If I have a family of five or three, and if I'm talking about serious, a family of ten maybe, because um, they really they have big they have a big number of children. But I have a choice of either worry about the 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 situation about uh, the Americans, the Israelis, or bring food to the table to my kids. Which one I which would I choose? Most people right now are busy trying to put food on the table. And this is, I think, is part of the plan, is let's keep them busy. But, you know, sooner or later, just like that guy who set himself on fire, it's just, they're, gonna, they're not going to care. They're not going to worry. So that whole area is truly, at one point of time, it's going to explode. It will. 
And then what you suggested can happen then. There's uh, nothing more to lose at that point. And I, I want to reiterate something, though, very quickly. Um, the between um, when I say Jews, and I should not, and I, I don't think I usually do, but if I do, don't misunderstand me. I don't mean the Jewish as a religion. I'm actually referring to the Zionist as a movement. So I, I must, I can't even say that as, as, as often as I have to, because I am not referring to Jewish as the Jews, the chosen. I'm not. I'm talking about the Zionist movement that started in the 18... 1890, I think, or 1891. That's the one I mean, and these are the Israelis I'm referring to. I do not refer to the Jews. As a matter of fact, the Jews themselves, a big majority of them are suffering because of the Zionist movement. I just want to clarify that. Ken Sears, I'm still trying to formulate the question, but there's a metaphor I heard a very long time ago that likened the Ottoman Empire, the old Ottoman Empire, to a very large bowl. And in that bowl, there were an in, almost an infinite number of different varieties of seed. There were beans, there were lentils, etc., etc., etc. And all of the pressure on that bowl was coming from the outside. It was coming from the Christian, uh, mostly the Austro-Hungarian Empire to the northwest. It was coming from the Russian Empire to the northeast. Um, there was really not a lot to the east past Persia, and there were deserts to the south uh, with the French and the English coming into, into, into Egypt and, and then pressure along the, the, the coasts. Now, when the uh, French and the English after World War I essentially broke up that bowl, they, they dismantled the Ottoman Empire, suddenly the pressures, and this, as I said, this is a metaphor, but suddenly, the pressures were not all from the outside. The pressures were all internal. From within, you were yeah. fighting over fragments. Now, um, I guess there's two questions. One of which is, is it possible for the people of Syria, as we now call it, um, Syria, or Syria, Syria, Iran, Iraq, Lebanon, what would have been the base of that bowl? Is it possible for them to ever pull it back together into a functioning state? Or is it going to, as I think you indicated, break up even more and more and more? I think it's going to break up more and more and more. Okay, thanks. Yeah. yeah. I, I see it like that, definitely. Uh, my name is Patricia Boswell. Hi. A number of people at my table were really sad that you had to stop when you did. So could you pick up at the evolution of ISIS, the power of Assad, and the intervention of the rest of the world? Oh boy. In other words, finish your talk. <laughs> That's a big one. Uh, um, seriously, that, that takes a lot of time. Um, um, yeah, but, but I can tell you, um, I just, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm just going to say what I said earlier. Think about what the Mujahideen did and how they became Al-Qaeda. And now we have ISIS, who, by the way, they move freely between the Arab walls. They claim that they are Muslims and Arabs. And I want, I, I want you to remember this. 
how many Muslims have been killed by ISIS versus how many Americans or Westerners have been killed. If you, if you have the answer, you realize that ISIS is killing more Muslims and more Arabs than anyone else. They are there to kill. They move freely. Uh, the states, the United States says, we can see you know, an ant crawling in somebody's bed because we have the technology for that. However, they're not seeing scud missiles moving between cities and countries by ISIS. ISIS is moving scud missiles. How come they don't see that? And uh, when I say scud missiles, at least what I think it is, huge rockets. How can they not spot that? Um, one thing I do agree with Trump, the only thing is that ISIS is the making of somebody. I don't agree with Trump, by the way. I'm just, that point only. <laughs> you can't say he has any power. He has zero power. If it wasn't for Russians and the Iranians in Syria, would have been crushed a long time ago. As simple as that. <laughs> My name is Van Christou. Hi. To bring a little bit of humor into this uh, discussion, uh, recently one of the stand-up comedians on, on the uh, Montreal uh, Comedy Festival said, how did it happen that all our oil got under Arabian soil? I have seen that, my, actually. My question after, the, after his joke is, how, how big a part do you think oil is still playing in, the, in this whole picture of American and international intervention? Uh, you, are, you afraid, are you trying to know how much influence the American has in the region? Is that? Yes. The Western, like the U.S. and the Western countries, right? They're, oh, I mean, they, 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 they own. I mean, look, I'm, I'm gonna say it in a different way. Um, think of a big company, a successful business. That successful business went global with a company called USA. That company has a president, and he assigned CEOs for each of his branches. A branch called Egypt, a branch called Saudi Arabia, a branch called Sudan, a branch called Iraq. At, at one point of time, the CEO that in charge of Iraq went against their HR document, how, how he should perform, because it's a, he reports to the White House. But at one point of time, he decided not to. He wanted to do things on his own. And at that point, you have to fire that employee. So they fired CEOs. They fired Saddam Hussein. They fired Gaddafi. They fired Hosni Mubarak. And they brought him back, but behind the scene. So truly, there is one governing entity in the world. And all the other countries you see, as I see it, they're nothing but branches to this big business that has a name, and the name is USA. 
And this is totally my view. I take responsibility. Um, Trevor Page, back at the mic again. Um, I'm a retired United Nations director. Now that you've told us that you're an interpreter with Lethbridge Family Services, I don't know whether you yourself were in a refugee camp before you came to Canada or wherever, but as an interpreter for Lethbridge Family Services, you certainly are dealing with refugees coming to Lethbridge who were in refugee camps. And I wonder whether you could tell us what the main impediments that refugees within those camps have had. You know, whether they've had enough food and shelter, clothing, whether hoping that they're going to be resettled in another country, whether it's the lack of English or a foreign language, what is it that would make it simpler and easier for a prospective refugee in a refugee camp that is coming to a country of asylum, uh, if you could relate the experience of those that have come to Lethbridge, I'd be interested in that. Okay. All right. Um, I'm not a refugee, I never lived in a refugee camp, uh, but I was in jail, if that counts. Uh, my father was there too, I'm an activist. Um, and maybe refugees or refugee or camps is probably much better than being in an Israeli jail, that's for sure. Now, um, about the Syrians um, who came here, um, not all of them, came from camps. Um, some did and some didn't. And, and, you know, some people might not understand this, but you can't accept a refugee by pulling that individual from that, their own country. They can't go into the war zone and take people and bring them here and become refugees. So they have to take them from the surrounding countries. So all those who were able to run away from Syria and the war zone to the neighboring countries such as Turkey, Jordan, Lebanon, um, the surrounding areas, uh, they're, they're the ones whom the United Nations go, contact them, and bring them, some to Canada, some to the States. Why do they come to Canada? Because Canada contributes, or is a member in the United Nations, therefore, I don't think even it's, it is a choice for Canada to say, no, I can't. So it, it's basically, your quota this year is to take 50,000 refugees. As simple as that. Um, they are, those I have been working with, and I'm gonna uh, tell you what they go through. Um, I've never been to doctor offices as, as much as I have been in the last one and a half years with Syrians, and I'm talking about the ones here now in Lethbridge. Uh, they are definitely, by all means, they are suffering from many diseases in which 
has a lot to do with the war zone. It has a lot to do with being left on a tent without any heat on a below zero temperature. It has a lot to do with crying for many days because I don't know where my son is or my daughter is or where my wife. Um, so many stress-related issues they have. It really is hard. If I want to describe it again, really it is a heartbreaking situation they're in. The majority of them are like that. And I think and I believe that uh, the way to deal with these individuals is to simply accept them in the society. Uh, and Lethbridge, no? Okay. Now, my question is, you're dealing with those that have come to Lethbridge as refugees. You're acting yes. as an interpreter for them. That's right. You mentioned you're going to the doctors. I'm taking you back to Turkey, to Lebanon, to Jordan. What is it in the camps that would prepare them better to come to a country of asylum, and this one, Canada? Is it the language? Should there be English language training in the refugee camps? Again, they may not go to a country that actually is an English-speaking country. So. If they do, if they are selected, I, I know your question, but to answer, for instance, I'm going to give you an example. Those Syrians who came in December 2015, they knew about this two or three days before they landed the plane. That's an important piece of information. So there, in most cases, they were not, they didn't even know that they're leaving. And by the way, they received text messages saying, please call us if you're interested to go. You call, okay, you have, we have a plane going in two days. Are you interested? Yes, okay, come by. Some 10 days, some 15 days. I haven't heard more than maybe 30 days, but the lowest I heard is two days. They were informed, two days. Now, probably is a different story. They're still bringing more. Um, but I'm guessing a total number of Syrians now is probably... 375, 365, something like that. The new ones, they go through um, presentations and orientations about where you're going. And by the way, many of them didn't even know that they're coming to Lethbridge. Um, some of them went through orientations of the basics of English. Uh, some of them uh, went through um, the basics of, you know, you and the law, law and orders, things like that. But I'd say 80% no. Thank you. You're welcome. Terry Shellington, thank you very much uh, for your presentation. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering uh, what you would see ahead for these uh, Arab countries, including Syria, you know, 50 years down the road, for example. And my, I'm coming from the point that Europe has gone through a, a tremendous fracturing, too, and gone through times of war and figured out how to live in peace and how to do their scrapping in nonviolent ways uh, uh, through economic competition or whatever. Uh, but we see tremendous level of violence in, in uh, Arab countries, including Syria. Is this just an evolutionary thing? And do you think in 50 years 
uh, they'll be more democratic or, uh, or what lies ahead for, right now it's just a scene of incredible violence. Yes. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, you know, um, I would hate I would hate to use the word violence. I mean, it's really every action. Uh, um, you know, if I if I if I come and I start, you know, shooting at you or shouting at you or kicking you out of your house, and then you reacted based on my my doings to you, um, then I think you have. I, I don't think you're being violence. I think you're violent. I think you're being fair. You want to protect yourself and your family. Well, how do I see, what, what do I see the future being? I mean, I don't know, but I honestly think, and again, this is me, my own, my own, oh boy, okay. Uh, I believe that very soon, the United States of America will take its hands off Israel. And when it does this, Israel will simply go. Because the only reason why Israel is existing there, and I'm talking about the Israel as a government now, the only reason why it exists because of the support of the Americans. You know, if U.S. stops supporting Israel, then Israel will dissolve. If Israel goes away, with it, lots of excuses will go away. Lots of Muslims and Arabs, they say, you know, this strange body that is called Israel does not really fit here. And it's like having something into your, into your body and, and body is trying to eject it one way or another because the body wants it out. If Israel leaves that area, I think, I think things will start shaping up in a different way. You, don't, you no longer need to maintain instability in the region. Right now, I need instability in the region so I can do what I have to do. I can get the resources I want. I can get as much oil as I can. But if I have all of that, and I don't really need as much of it anymore, I don't think anybody then will care about that part of the world. And it becomes stable. We are out of time, but we'll entertain this final question. My apologies for being so late in my answers, but I try to give as much information as possible. So. Uh, Mohammed, my name is Austin. Hi, Austin. And I would like to know who you think Assad's enemies are, and why are they his enemies? <sighs> okay. Uh, Assad himself belongs to a sect called the Alawiyin, which, which is like, I think, 2% of Syria. Yet he is the governor. He governed with, with that. His enemies, anyone who is trying to disturb his rulings, anyone, who is trying to come close and pull that chair away from him is his enemy. Um, with people like that, I don't think they really care about who you are. 
whether you are Sunni, Muslim, Christian, I don't think they care. They only care about one thing. They care about implementing certain ideology they have in their mind. I'm staying regardless. I mean, his father was in power for 4,500,000 million years. Not really, but I mean, yeah. And now he's taken over. So if you try to take my seat away, you are my enemy. And that's what the asset is. And by the way, this is all the Arab leaders, not only Assad, all the CEOs. Thank you. Thank you very much for your talk. You're welcome.